Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Just letting you all know that for some of you who do monthly donations to the show, it is incredibly appreciated. Truly, truly, truly. And there are some of you who have asked about making a one-time donation, kind of a large donation that's extremely helpful, but not needing to necessarily pay a little bit every month, but just in a lump sum. And that is a possibility. It's probably easiest to do it through the PayPal account that's connected with the podcast. So go to paypal.me M-E, slash indoctrination. And you will find our PayPal account and you can make a donation very easily through there. Much, much appreciated. Thank you for asking about that. I hope this makes it easy and easier for you to support the show. I want to thank everyone who has made this show possible. And again, people who have passed along the information to people they love and they care about and people who are using it for themselves each week as a way of gaining some support and confirmation about why they're feeling the way they're feeling or affirmation or support. And I also want to thank the people who are Patreon subscribers for $10 or more. It's also true that now you get the chance to get some very cool merchandise. There are some stickers and also tote bags, and they're awesome. And so it's a gift from us to you for your support. And I also want to mention the people who give $10 and more. To Sophie and Sarah, Adrian, Ellen, Katrina, Marlene, Muriel, Jamila, Joseph, Catherine, Kikesi, Ilza, Lynn, Julia, Trimian, Elizabeth, Sheila, Holly, Tammy, David, Apostababe, Donna, Jessica, Mislav, Michael, Zofia, Kathy, Audrey, Alex, Ken, Katharina, Sarah, Christina, Ludwig, Scott, Cynthia and Peter, Linda, Jolie, Paul and Paula, Camus, Lillian, and Maureen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I could not do it without you. We are almost, almost breaking even. So let's keep this going. Thank you. Today on the show, we have Ariella Sarai. Continuing the conversation she started last week, this is part two of a two-part episode. 
Ariella is dedicated to understanding how we can bring forth the best in ourselves and others. And after graduating from Columbia University, she spent almost two years in India, first volunteering for Mother Teresa, then studying Tibetan Buddhism. She got her MSW from the University of Pennsylvania and worked as a therapist in many wonderful and important places like foster homes and hospitals. And in the year 2000, she was introduced to an international self-development course called Avatar. It enabled her to get back on her feet after a divorce and struggling with some of her emotions. And she started creating the life that she loved and decided to keep teaching her courses and she moved up the ranks and was able to bring in many students. But gradually she began to get exhausted and depleted both emotionally and financially. She stopped prioritizing family and friends and she was devoted to this work of recruiting as many students as possible, which she thought was the best way to help the world. But eventually, her only commitment was to work to recruit students and to teach the course. And she was on a course even on major holidays. Her son, her marriage, her health suffered. But she kept committing to what she calls the mission. She also started to get treated differently as she took on more responsibility in the Avatar network. She experienced shaming, shunning, constant pressure, and public humiliation. But she kept telling herself that these were all part of her spiritual training. She loved working with students and saw the benefits of the original tools. But it got to the point where she had nothing in her own life besides Avatar. She got divorced and moved to Orlando to be in the same city as the Avatar headquarters. She was unhealthy, unhappy, and afraid to say anything and afraid to leave. She, by this point, was devoted to Avatar for 21 years. When COVID hit, courses stopped for a little while and she got to feel what it was like to be rested, to be home to have more time with her boyfriend, who she had been with already for two years. She had a break from the treatment she had been getting. She thought things might be improving, though, so she was part of the team that transferred the courses online. But then she started to experience the same way of being talked to and pressured, and she felt controlled all over again. Only this time she could feel the impact it was having on her she started listening to podcasts and reading about high control groups. And in November, she realized that she was in one. She had sacrificed what was most important to her, including her core values to support a mission. As soon as this really got to her, she had one consultation with a therapist, made an exit plan, and less than 24 hours later, she was able to leave. There was sadness. There was loss. None of her friends at Avatar would talk to her. She also felt a loss of purpose and structure and was flooded with flashbacks of all the experiences she had gone through, yet at the same time had joy and freedom and a feeling of safety, along with the unwavering support of her boyfriend and her family. And she now has been able to turn her experiences into 
messages for others. She started a private practice, wrote a chapter about connecting with your inner compass, and she's now writing a book, and she's cooking, playing fetch with her dog, taking care of herself, and is now happier than she has ever been. And next week, we will also get to hear from her son. Here's Ariella now. There's so much here that I want to be able to talk about because I can see that it hurts your heart when you even think about it. And of course it does at the time. It probably was presented that, I'm assuming, so correct me if I'm wrong, that if you were as involved in the mission, you were ultimately going to be helping your son and everyone in the world. And so he was going to reap the benefit from it at some later date. Is that how it got justified? Um, Now that I think about it, it kind of makes me laugh, but I'm trying to put it into words like the good karma or the Mm -hmm. blessings that would be overflowing from my good deeds would line up everything in my life. Uh I I didn't have to worry about actually taking care of those things that it would just, if I was really in alignment with my higher self, everything would work out. And if I wasn't, it wasn't because I wasn't there. It was because I was not contributing enough or doing something right enough or something was off with me. It's like, always go back to the drawing board, which is you. It's always, what did I do? And I mean, that's a whole nother thread of how many things I had to make up that I did and how many things I was told that I did and intentions that I was told I had. Let's get to that next because I think that's really uh, powerful and that leaves a lot of after effects. So just a little bit more about this. If you had gone to any of the people there and had said, because I'm sure you had to give an explanation if you were needing to take some time or doing less or whatever else, if you've said, you know, my son is really suffering or my marriage is really suffering and I need to take some time with that, or I need to work a little less for the organization, what would have been the response? It's interesting because it's not like you were told you couldn't go. It's like by the time you get this deep into it, you're policing yourself. Mm. And I think you, you know that. So you now have trained yourself mm-hmm. to always look for what you need to correct mm-hmm. in order to correct any situation in your life. And so you knew you could physically get on a plane and leave, or I could say no, but what would happen if I actually did that? There was a couple times I think I can remember. You would get things taken away. So I got the things I loved to do, like working with the students, like next course you can't, I couldn't work with anybody because I made a choice that showed that my commitment level wasn't where it should be, or I was integrating something. So something you loved was taken away, a privilege was taken away. And 
when we get to this piece about, you know, that you have to always look at what you were doing wrong, the way they went about that was very humiliating. And so you had to weigh out all these things. You thought like you were going to lose ground, lose privileges, and then you were going to get humiliated. So you kind of had to weigh out, was it worth it or not? No, there was a huge risk. Yeah. So let's switch over to that. But I love the idea of reinforcing this message of policing yourself, because I think I often will say, because this is sort of what I've noticed, that the people who start a group that is culty are the ones sometimes who uh, work the least within the group, that they're the ones who will often say that they're off doing important things, but come to find out (laughs) that they're They're not necessarily, and sometimes they're relaxing or they're vacationing or whatever on other people's dime, but it's usually the the people within the organization who are running themselves ragged and who are holding themselves up to a certain superhuman standard and exhausting, exhausting, exhausting themselves and feeling like that's the right thing to do. And often you'll see it in the difference between how the leaders look and how the followers look and the leaders often look kind of very put together. And I think it's because they're not nearly as exhausted. So let's shift over to that because here setting the tone for this, you were devoting years and years and years. You were bringing in many members and lots of money to them through their people's memberships, right? I mean, your, your focus was not money, but it was bringing like sharing the message, but still a lot of groups that are run like businesses, they care about the bottom line and sacrificing so much of yourself, of your personal life. And still, it sounds like you weren't given a chance to feel really good about yourself, like you were doing enough. So let's talk about that. It's an interesting mix because again, there's this blend of some good things thrown in mm-hmm. with the things that are really not okay with you that you're not acknowledging that that happens. And so occasionally if if I did bring in as many students as I intended to, there would be a moment of acknowledgement. That was rare that I mm-hmm. actually brought in as many as I wanted to because I always set my goals high. And it was just also impossible. So I was always working against an impossible standard. But on the whole, I felt really, really awful about myself. Like, really awful. I had certain traits that people kept telling me, that would, the leaders would tell me, were my specific weaknesses that I kept needing to work on. And one of them was being self-absorbed. Ooh, okay. After hearing all of your self-sacrifice to be told, oh my goodness, okay. Self-important. Wow. The other one was, I have a hard time speaking up in general. So this this is my first time speaking out against really anything, sharing the truth about anything that is difficult. But I would try, and sometimes I, I like to have, like, I have a visions about how things, how we could do things different or how something could work. And if I would share something like that, I would be told that I am 
trying to be superior to the leaders oh yeah place and so and if there was of course was anything that I thought wasn't a good idea and there were many things that happened that were just really to me not good ideas if I said anything that was what they call a criticism and if you have a criticism it means you have a transgression so everything just came back to all these bad intentions that I would kept looking for. That's very Scientology, by the way. It is. It's textbook. Yeah, it's Scientology. It is. Oh, and the other thing is that th- this was this was the thing I think out of everything, every every everything, the thing that got me the most is they would tell you, like, imagine someone saying, "You did this, and you thought this," and you're going, mm, "No, that really wasn't what it was," and they were saying, "You're resisting," and. <laughs> How many times I was told the way they tried to, and then you had to really pretend, you had to swallow it, you know, that you really did that. And it was really frustrating. It sounds really frustrating and it sounds also very confusing. I mean, here, it sounds like the things that you were told about yourself were quite the opposite of who you are and what your intentions were and how you were operating. That you were being self-sacrificial, that you were devoting all your time and energy and money to a cause, and they're telling you you're being selfish. How do you ever make sense of that? And it feels so cruel to tell you just constantly, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough, you're not, you know, to the point where you were going to break. There's no way to survive that kind of pressure when you're already exhausted and depleted. And the guilt, I'm sure, and the shame, you know, are also going to be motivators there if you're a good person. It also doesn't surprise me that you having your own ideas was going to threaten them because that's you having your own ideas, which you can't have. And they could be better than theirs, which they also can't have. Right. And if I got a compliment, I was shaking in my boots Mm -hmm. because like, so you didn't want to get, do something wrong, but if somebody complimented me, I was, I got the talk to like, they, you are attaching them to you and not the mission. Why are they so, why do they like you and not the mission? What is it about you? How did you put yourself in there, mix yourself in there with the tools? You didn't do a clean delivery. You know, like if I got a thank you or gratitude. So I was very nervous, mm-hmm. very afraid and didn't really acknowledge it. And also All the stuff I just told you, Rachel, as you really got up the ranks, so we had team meetings with 15 to 35 of us, depending on if it was like U.S. or if it was like the whole world, the leaders that were there. Mm -hmm. All of this was done in front of everybody, usually with a microphone. Oh, public shame. wonderful. Public shame. So you're, you're exploring all this and you're trying to own what you did that you didn't do. Not only that, it was being typed. Somebody was typing everything we said. There's a transcript. Mm -hmm. So everything you were sharing was being recorded. And so you were like, oh God, I'm so, it's just such a strange feeling, but you know, part of what I wanted to say is we do start to normalize these things. It, it happens so quickly 
you compromise, like I said, a micro compromise, you, you take one thing, you don't speak up. And then before you know it, that's how you're operating. So this was normal. Wow. Okay. I also think about it being typed up. I'm picturing a court reporter. I'm picturing you being on trial because it gives that feeling like you're on the witness stand and, and taking it back to Scientology, which is where, you know, a lot of this came from. If the people who started this were, had been members, there is this whole idea of telling people if they're critical of Scientology that you're supposed to get kind of in their face and say, what crimes have you committed? What crimes are you guilty of? And so there is this whole guilty till really never proven innocent. And a lot of people will say they just constantly felt on the witness stand. And so just when you were saying that someone was typing up all of these things that you needed to say publicly, I thought of a courthouse. You deserved much better than that. That was very, very destabilizing. Mm -hmm. Also, just to be super clear, I have very good intentions, but I'm human. So it wasn't completely impossible for me to find threads of selfishness and self-absorbed intentions, you know, because we all have that. And so it's this interesting like hint of truth and you can look at it and you can go, you know, and you think back on your life and you think back on, you know, how you didn't really focus enough that, that week and you can, you can go, yeah, all right. You know, it's it's very interesting because again, it's not binary. It's not like good and bad, and then we're all so perfect in the mission. It's not, it's it's this very confusing blend of it all. Mm-hmm. Amazing experiences and very painful experiences all blended. Wow. The intensity is just palpable as you're talking yeah. about it. Okay. So I'm curious also to go back to the compliments. Was it okay for people to compliment the leaders? It was okay. I wouldn't say that they sought that out, but it was okay. So they might not have sought it out, but if someone paid them a compliment, because there's no one above the leaders, there was no one there to say, how did you manipulate that situation to have them have to say something about you? And why are you doing this? And why are you taking the focus off the mission? And, you know, so it's another one of these kinds of dichotomies of, that the rules apply to. Oh, right. Okay. hundred percent. Well, even the way that we were talked to, the way that I was talked to, it was very painful for me, but I'm super sensitive to a lot of times. It wasn't just like, what happened or why did you make that decision? It was like, what were you thinking? You know, like it was very shocking to me. Oh, but if, yeah. if I ever had uh, any harshness with anybody or any hint of it, that would be a big thing that I would be owning. So there was that, that was really difficult to understand because what we were promoting And what we were giving the students was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And even what I got for a long time, besides these micro compromises of integrity, like I said, Mm -hmm. but then eventually when you get to a certain level, the game totally changes again. And now you are, you need to be a producer and like you're treated not like we're living on an enlightened planet in any way, shape or form. For me, that's how I experienced it. I mean, just to give you a tiny sense, two little things. 
I remember going to bed at night and I created my own rating system of how tired I was. Oh my God. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It just makes me sad thinking that you must've been so tired so often that it was on your mind so often that you did this. Okay, go ahead. So what was the- Yeah, no, no. Thank you for, you get it. It's like exhausted, painfully exhausted. Um, I can't even remember the levels clinically exhausted. And there was one, I can't remember what it was, but it was like almost dead. I mean, and I would rate it. <laughs> almost dead exhausted. How tired I was mm-hmm. before going to bed. And then again, waking up super early to get everything done. And then about three years ago, I felt so trapped and I didn't feel like I could leave because I didn't want to let people down. I didn't think I could do anything else. I had alienated family, friends. I mean, there were so many reasons and what I was told about what would happen if I left that I would just be stuck in lower modes and the tools wouldn't work for me, things like that. That I actually started asking to get an an illness. I started wishing that I would get really sick so that I would have an excuse to leave. And you know what, Rachel? still didn't wake me up. It was not till years after that, that I left. Isn't that amazing that you can get to that point? That is amazing. But to be so disconnected from the self also, that you were like in this trance where you just had to keep going. And every once in a while, you had this light shine on the whole experience through yeah, wishing to get an illness, which shows how, yes, how trapped you felt. And you were looking for a way out, desperately looking for a way out, even at your own expense, that you would mm-hmm. get an illness in order to get out. And still you stayed. How fascinating. Okay. And I love that you said trance, because this is what, so I'm now out and working as a therapist. And I actually use that phrase that we get into a trance-like state. Mm. And it doesn't only happen in high control groups. It happens in relationships, it happens at work. And one of the things that I learned, which to me is such a valuable lesson about how does that happen? How can you be in such a trance that you can see what's happening, but it's not registering, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You can see it, but there's a disconnect. Do you know what I mean between what's happening and you're, and then registering what's happening. Right. Right. And so to me, the way that happens is by tuning out your feelings. Mm -hmm. You have feelings that are showing you they're bubbling up They're there and they're going, this doesn't feel right. I'm exhausted. And when you are overriding those constantly, because you think you're training yourself to be positive and to be productive and effective, you're doing a very dangerous disservice to yourself and others because those feelings, not your thinking, because your thinking is like all kinds of justification, rationalization, everything, but your feelings are telling you something. There's a message and we need to know how to tune in Mm. to our feelings and let it register. Hmm. I think if I had done that, I would have left a lot sooner. 
So interesting. I'm thinking now about a lot of cases I've dealt with, and there's one in particular with someone, and I've talked about this on the podcast, but it was really at the beginning, so it's already a couple of years old, but I call it the three-year letter. That there, Someone came to me who had been thinking about leaving their group for many, many years, and they were told that they had to write a letter that explained why they wanted to leave, and it had to be something that was accepted by the leader. So he had been revising this letter for three years. And he came to me to get help writing the letter. And because of my background in working with people in cults, could I guide him to let him know what he should put in the letter that would make an impact or that the leader would approve of to let him go? And it was fascinating because what got lost there in that trance-like state was you can just leave. Three years ago, he could have left. And also what he was learning through this process was nothing that he wrote was going to satisfy the leader because the leader never wanted to let him go. So when I said, I can, I can help you write this letter, but two things. If this person gets something from you being involved, and he was also, he was a big fundraiser for the group, then... Your, your letter's going to get red penned, red lined over and over again, and you're going to have to revise and revise and revise. But also, there's something called a constitution. You have freedom of movement. You can actually just leave. And it actually didn't register at first. He looked at me like I was speaking about something totally different than anything he could experience in his life. And I said, you know what, just take that home. Just, just think about that. Because it was so off the table for so many years that he forgot it was an option. So it's just your story is reminding me of this experience. Wow. It is very true because you, for all the different reasons, all the beliefs you have, and then, you know, I got so specialized. And then all, all, you put it all together. It's like a perfect storm. Hmm. You technically know you can leave, but you don't believe. You, you, it's not really an option. It's just so interesting how that happens. Uh, going back to this idea of scarcity, that if you do believe that the answers are only here, yeah, and the gifts that you'll receive, you can only get through this work and this self-sacrifice. Yeah, it would be natural to stop looking at anything else as a viable option or even leaving as a viable option. You know, I also felt like this is the best thing for others. Mm -hmm. So then I wouldn't be able to really help others. Mm -hmm. So what's the point? You know, what am I going to do? Just lie on the beach and be depressed by myself. And then, you know, of course, when other people left, mm -hmm. nobody talked to them. So I knew I was in for that too. So friends that I had had for 21 years, you know, you lose all your friendships. I mean, all of them, all of a sudden. I'm lucky because I didn't totally alienate my family as it turns out. And I had a new relationship. I can tell you all about that. But for people who don't have that, who just alienated their family mm -hmm. and have no one, that's mm -hmm. just an even extra thing, you know? So it's a lot. I wanted to also say about the compliments that, it, you know, yeah. a lot of these things that you're mentioning mimic a relationship with a narcissist. Uh, because I remember, I will sometimes pull from a previous relationship of mine where 
I remember if people would compliment me in front of my partner, I would get nervous because I knew there was going to be some payback for that, for me being seen as being able to do something or be something that they didn't either feel that they could do or be, or it hadn't been acknowledged. And so a gift to you is something that takes something away from them. Mm -hmm. They can't be happy for you. Okay. So yes. So please, so let's talk about how you left. So I had not been thinking about leaving. I really had no thought about it, even though I was uh, very, I was suffering a lot. I was very unhappy. I felt very controlled and I, I, I was unhappy, but I still felt committed. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened. So when COVID happened, the courses stopped. So I was going on a very regular basis, like I said, every two weeks to be around these people and be under their influence. And in that routine and that structure just stopped, which as you know, from your studies and it's huge. If, if somebody can be pulled out of the constant physical environment and influence, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. So I felt what it was like to not be exhausted for a minute. Now, I was still getting calls every day. Okay. And I, I piloted the first online weekend workshop. Mm-hmm. And then I was part of a team that piloted the first online nine-day course as well. So I was still working on things and doing everything I could to get everything back. But I could stay in my sweatpants. I could cook food. And the other thing is I had met somebody, uh, a boyfriend, and he was very different from me. And he actually took the courses but didn't get involved in uh, the network at all. And he was incredibly, and still is, incredibly fun to be around, very lighthearted. He's self-aware, but he's not obsessed with self-empowerment like I had been. Mm -hmm. And he started teaching me how to relax and have fun. He actually moved in with his son. And I started to get the experience of just like being able to play with my dog, stop worrying and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So that was the first thing that happened. And then I started listening to some uh, podcasts. Of course, I was drawn to things like about cults and things. Then I read The the Cult of Trump, Steve Mm -hmm. Hassan's book. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was an audio book. And as I was listening, I started realizing that maybe I'm in a cult. It was the first time I had ever thought of it. So I would say it was the combination of that and feeling good in my life, which I had not felt for many years. Mm -hmm. And then a very interesting thing is I wrote a chapter for a book about listening to your inner compass and tuning into your feelings. I was still an avatar. One day I decided to call it note to self and I read it. And it was in a note to self to tune into what I was feeling. So all of a sudden I realized, I think I'm in a cult. I made an appointment with a cult therapist, had one session, made an exit plan in 24 hours, left and never looked back. Wow. Soon as I really realized, 
-hmm. I didn't waste any time. I emailed the company and I said, I don't want you to contact me. I'm leaving. I didn't say why. They don't know any of this. Yeah. No, maybe they do. And I have never been happier. And I can live and communicate and have an amazing life without that. And I have a wonderful private practice that's building beautifully right now and writing a book. So that's how I left. I love it. But to get to that point where there's just no question, this is what you were going to be doing. You also, I think, need to get to a place where you're not going to be fearful of the consequence or the feedback or the, what I like that you said, don't be in contact with me. So just for people to know who are listening, if you do put that in writing or you do let people know you are not to contact me, and then if they do, it's considered harassment by law. So you covered yourself in that way. So just FYI. So it's a smart move. So you were feeling, I guess, strong enough, determined enough, clear enough to make that decision. Supported enough too by my, my boyfriend. Yeah. You want backup. You don't, I mean, it's, it's kind of a human need to know we, we don't have to go through these things on our own and, yeah. uh, and whether it's a boyfriend or a friend or whomever, a therapist, wh- whoever you have, who, you know, has, has your back, you know, yeah. I think it's really important. Okay. So then I'm curious because you do clinical work, I'm sure that, you know, you use your, the insights from your experience to inform some of your work. And I'm curious how it weaves its way in. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I don't use any of the tools in my work, and, but I, I have, I really help people get in touch with what is true for them. So it does inform my work. I mean, I work with lots of people, but yeah, this awareness helps me get people in touch with their truths and not just be in a trance-like state and have a, have a quality of life. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. So as we're finishing up, I want to open it up to anything else that you wanted to, to mention or to share about your experience or to teach us from your experience. You know, I think the last thing I would like to say is that the bottom line for me, it's about listening really listening to yourself and really listening to each other because my parents are so wonderful and my boyfriend, my friends, they tried to tell me many times that this wasn't right for me. I didn't listen, but they also weren't educated on how to help me. Telling somebody that, just telling them and being worried, it doesn't work. So my, what I want to say is if you are, if you know somebody who's involved in something like this, listen to them, connect, be very interested and they'll share. I actually had three moments where I tried to tell somebody what was happening, but they didn't pick up on it. They didn't know how, but I hinted because you're speaking in code. Mm. You're speaking in code. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm really not okay. And then they would go, you know, oh, you need to see a doctor? No, not what do you mean? You know, so if you really listen, if you really care, if you really stay connected, if you listen to yourself, it's all there. If we tune into what we're feeling and we listen, I think that's the direction I'd like to encourage people to go in 
so they don't get lost in concepts and really prioritize a mission over their core values mm. and what's important to them. And that's the bottom line. That's a really important point and a really good place to end this. And I think, yes, here you were reaching out to let people know that you were suffering and needing someone to know and maybe not knowing what you wanted them to to say or to do about it, but just that they heard you. Uh, it's really fascinating. I know that, yes, speaking in code, you know, you get so used to keeping the secrets and not sharing this with people that I know sometimes people have let me know that they they picked up on a certain kind of cadence or uh, when uh, someone went down at the end of a word or up, that they could tell something was off. Like when this person who was, the parents hadn't picked up on also with from their daughters sharing with them that she was really unhappy, but a friend picked up on the following that she said to her friend, how are you doing? And the friend who was involved, actually was in a very controlling relationship said, okay, but it wasn't okay or good. It was okay, which is please ask me, right? <laughs> right? Please hear that. It was really powerful. It's so true. So yeah. if you really listen and then you let them know, mm -hmm. you can also let them know. If you ever need to talk more, I'm here to listen. And don't judge. Don't be given your opinions. You can you can plant some seeds if you gently want to point out something. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. just remember, they're in a whole different universe with different rules. And your connection and your listening and your safety and your kindness is what makes them realize that they can have that in their lives again. Wow, beautiful. Thank you for sharing this experience. And I know that, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to break through the, the fourth wall and to share and to talk about this, but it is your right and it is your experience. People can talk about their experience. And I think, you know, you're doing a lot in continuing the work of wanting to do for other people by letting them know. And you're not saying, don't ever get involved in this. You're saying, this was my experience. Just know it. And then make your decision based yeah. on synthesizing all of this information. Exactly. And pay attention to yourself. Listen, and you'll know what to do. Hmm. And I really want to thank you too, Rachel, because you are a very deep listener. And what you're doing is so important in raising awareness. And you're one of the people that I listened to when I was learning about what is this? And it's so important. So I really want to deeply thank you and thank you for having me on and giving me a voice and being so clean with your intention as well. I really appreciate it. Mm, that's sweet of you to say. Very nice. And, I, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So I hope that we get to connect again. You're doing wonderful work and you have a lot to educate people about. All right, so we will hopefully talk again soon. All right, thank you very much. One more thing before you go. I want to thank Ariella for 
both of the episodes for the first episode last week and the second episode today talking about her experiences with a group called Avatar that has been around for a while, but that people haven't heard, I think, enough about. There have been some people who have been trying to get the word out and have been working very hard to do so. And so I do think that it's important for more people to know about groups that have the potential to be helpful in people's lives and have the potential to not be helpful. But regardless of my opinion, just for you to be able to hear people's actual experiences so that then if you happen to come across an ad for a particular group, you can make a more fully educated decision about getting involved or not. I think so many groups have irony in their name and might not realize the irony because an avatar, as far as I know about the word, is not necessarily who you are, but a representation of you, how you choose to be represented in the world. And in some ways, it's kind of your outward persona. Some people might even see it as a false self. And that seems very fitting here. I think it's also so interesting that so many groups that seem to be about being your true self and learning to say what is true for you and speaking your mind and being brave and delving into your true feelings are often the very same groups that will say, how dare you tell your feelings about it? How dare you talk about what happened? How dare you speak your mind when what you're talking about is the group? People are sometimes in divisive and controlling relationships, and their controlling partner is very proud of them when they speak their minds or how they've been convinced to feel to their families and friends, telling them really what their controlling partner or leader wants them to be told. I don't want to spend time with you anymore. You're not good for me. You don't really love me. You've never really cared about me. All the very hurtful things that families and friends hear when their loved ones are in kind of these relationships or groups that divide and conquer. But that same partner who wants you to speak your mind cannot tolerate you turning on them and doing the same thing. So you're going to get positive affirmation and kudos for getting in other people's faces, but God forbid you turn around and get in their face, even if they're the ones taking credit for you being able to have your courage and your empowered stance. All you're doing is using the skills that they think they've given you, but you can only use them with certain people. Only use them with the people they want you to use them with. That's certainly one of the signs of a controlling person, of a controlling group. I think also that for a lot of people, they get very nervous because of this, because, you know, they've been so mistreated by speaking their mind in certain groups. They're very nervous about sharing their stories, sharing their stories even on this podcast. And for everyone they know, it's absolutely optional. No one is ever pushed to do so. People will usually be the ones to contact me to be on the show rather than me 
contacting them or pursuing them. The reason that's important is that these people who have been on the show have very often been in situations where, again, they were pushed to do things before they felt ready. And they were pushed to say things that didn't feel quite right, that made them feel anxious and made them worry about their safety. And they shouldn't have to feel that way here as well. When people listening to the show say, hmm, it's interesting, you know, it seems like this group has been around for a long time, but I haven't heard of it. Well, there's usually a couple reasons for that. Either the people who have left have been made to feel that if they're viewing the group in a negative light, it means that they failed the group in some way or they were too weak to kind of cut it or that their impression of it is wrong and they're misinterpreting things because after all, the people who they became friendly with or the people they respected are still in the group. So maybe they are seeing it the wrong way. And for some people, they also really out of the goodness of their heart don't want to take it away from other people who they think it's benefiting or they think they're getting something from it that's positive. So they don't want to get in the way of people being able to get the help they need by staying in the group. And so they don't want to change their impression of it in a negative way. And I think also there are people who are not sharing something about the group because they see what has happened to other people who have gone public. And they don't want that to happen to themselves too. And I understand that. There is a lot of fear that keeps people silent. And the people who have been on this show are actually a very small percentage of the people who contact me to be on the show. And what I mean by that is that sometimes people contact me because they're feeling empowered and strong and courageous, and then they suddenly change their mind. Suddenly something happens where someone they know and love has gotten just raked over the coals publicly by the group for going forward, or they let people know they were going to be sharing their story, and then they were threatened by people in the group. And so I want you to be aware of that, that if a group has been around for a long time and you just haven't heard about it, it's usually because people have been made too afraid to talk about it. And that should tell you something about the group right away. I think there are people who are very worried about public scrutiny and they're very worried about being shamed and they're very worried about losing a connection to the community that they might, to a certain degree, still feel connected to. And I know that there are, I think, a couple websites that have been set up to defame me. They're usually by people in Scientology. <laughs> and I think, you know, how interesting that is that, again, all I'm doing is giving people a forum for sharing their own stories, but still the group wants to go after me and defame me. And for a lot of people that is just much too scary and I understand it. So I think 
for people like Ariella to be able to come forward, it shows that they're ready. It shows that they're feeling courageous. But truth is, it shouldn't have to take so much courage. It should be that you have the right to tell your story without worry. It should be that a group that is considering itself to be so enlightened would be able to handle if someone says, I didn't like this so much. And maybe it really wasn't a good group. Because again, if it is so enlightened, it should be able to make space for that. And so when people go after other people for telling their stories, as I've said before, it doesn't sway the public usually about the person who's telling the story. It sways the public about the people who are tormenting those who are coming forward. And it makes the tormentors look very suspicious. It makes people wonder why they need to keep things secret and why they're so worried about people knowing what happens. If anyone wants to come forward, again, no one is ever pushed. And if you decide to want to tell your story and then change your mind, that's okay too. But you have an open invitation. And again, know that if people attack you for it, that makes them look bad, not you. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.